Well, good morning. Nice. Well done. Well, my name is Eli Garza, and I get to serve here at Calvary as the student and young adult pastor, and I'm so excited to be able to also share God's word with you this morning. And I also want to just say how grateful I am to be able to serve at a church that continues to pray for our students, for our younger generations and our young adults. And and I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, and ask you to continue to pray for our students and young adults and our younger generations as God continues to move there. God continues to do amazing things. And so just thank you so much for your prayers. And I'm, and I'm excited because we're continuing our series in the book of John. We're talking about coming and seeing what God has done and what he's doing. Pastor David did a great job a couple of weeks ago in John chapter one, how we've been invited to come and see what he's done, what he's doing, but also to be excited to, to have joy and, and just know that, that we can be expectant of God doing new things, miraculous things, amazing things. And, and we got to witness so many things already this semester of what God is doing and, and our prayers that we wouldn't miss it, right? We had to ask ourselves, one, do we see it? But then also, do we even want to see it, right? And my hope and prayer for us this morning is that we would want to see it and that we would see it in the extraordinary, but also in the ordinary. But before we jump into our passage, which will be, by the way, in John chapter two, if you want to open up your Bibles, I have a question for us. Is, is anybody in here, do they consider themselves a great multitasker? Anybody? Yeah, a few hands up. Okay. I will admit that I don't believe I'm a great multitasker. I, I'm terrible at it. My wife will definitely agree with that, especially if there's a game on. I'm going to be focused on that. If she tells me something, I'll be like, what? Right? And, and she gets mad at me. But that's not the point. The point is, is that I'm not good at multitasking. But we're going to do something a little different this morning. I am a student pastor and we like to have fun. And so we're going to do a little social experiment, if you will. And this requires for you to be engaged. This requires for you, especially those that say are multitaskers, to participate. And it's very simple, okay? All we're going to do is there's going to be a video on the screen here in a few moments. And you're going to see people uh, jumping rope or doing double dutch. Anybody know what double dutch is? Anybody can still do a double dutch? I have some ropes right now. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But, but all you're required to do is to count how many times the people in the green shirts jump the rope. Very simple. All you got to do is count how many times, focus on them, and see if you can get the correct number of jumps. Okay, there's a, a quick tutorial here. Go ahead and play it, guys. So those, those young ladies right there in the green shirts, all you got to do is count how many times it's going to go like that. Okay. That's all you got to do. You're going to start counting here in three, two, one, and go ahead and start counting. Remember, green shirts, stay focused, green shirts. definitely cannot do that. All right. Okay. We got it. Good. Now let me ask you, uh, give me some numbers. What what was the count that you guys got? Somebody. Okay. 30. (laughs) Okay. Good. Right. So if you were in the range of 34 to 40, Hey, congratulations. That's around the average number of jumps that people counted. So great job. Pat yourself on the back. Uh, but let me ask some, some of y'all real quick. Did anybody see the chicken? Anybody see the chicken cross the the screen there? Y'all think I'm kidding. Okay, go ahead, show it, guys. So if you were paying attention, there was a chicken that crossed right in front of y'all, and you missed it. 
But some of y'all got the chicken. Okay, good job. Did anybody, can anybody tell me the color of the screen behind them? Purple, red, blue. It's kind of a trick question because actually the entire time it was changing colors. There was no set. What? Yeah. And for those of you that got that, again, well done. This is my last hope. Did anybody notice that the people holding the ropes switched in the middle of the jumping? No? Couple, go ahead and show it. So right there, they switched. Boom. And you might have missed it. Now, I didn't do this to make you feel bad. (laughs) I didn't do this to make you think that you're a bad multitasker. But in all honesty, I did it to reveal the hard truth is that sometimes we're so fixated on something that we forget about what's happening in the background. And I think for some of us, including myself, that's a great example of our walks with Jesus. You see, we're stuck in the middle of praying for something that maybe is is taking all of our time, is taking all of our energy and emotion, and we're just fixated on this prayer of God, please make this happen. Maybe you've been waiting for a need to be met for months, years. Maybe you've been waiting to see God do a huge miracle in such a way that it would just blow your mind and, and that everything would just be so evident and in your face and just you could just rejoice in that. But what if in the midst of you focusing so much on that, you've missed on what God is doing in the everyday, ordinary life, in the background of your life? We're saying right now about how all our lives he's been faithful not just in the moments that he's answered our prayers, not just in the moments when he's answered specific prayers, but in every moment he's been faithful. So our question for us this morning is, do we believe that? Can we see God work in the ordinary? Can we see him do remarkable things? Or are we so fixated on big moments that we miss it? We go to our passage in John chapter two, verses one through 11. You read that with me, it'll be on the screen. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. And when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, hey, they don't have any more wine. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water, after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then after people are drunk and filled, the, the inferior comes out. But you have kept... The fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come into your word, we just ask that you would be present. We ask Jesus that right now in this moment, you would reveal to us the things that we need to see. That we would be reminded of who you are, what you've done and what you're doing. Father, may we just submit to you our lives and everything in it. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, has anybody planned a wedding before? It's probably the most stressful things that you've ever done in your life, and I never want to do it again. Okay, and that's because my wife did most of the planning, right? But the thing is, is that during Jesus' time, there wasn't a lot to do, right? They didn't have 
New Year's parties. They didn't have uh, Christmas yet, right? They didn't, they didn't really have Easter yet, of course. But, but there wasn't really an occasion to get together and just have a good time. But weddings were a big deal. And as stressful as they are to us today, they're even more stressful during Jesus' time. First of all, this celebration would last up to seven days. That's a long time. Look, I'm Hispanic and, and wedding and parties are fun and long, but seven days is a little out of my comfort zone. Like that, that's a lot. But, but what's even more stressful is the groom's role in the wedding. You see, before you could even have a wedding, there was a year long process where the groom had to make sure that everything was provided for resources, uh, food, wine, you name it. You gotta make sure that the groom gets everything ready for this day. Why? Because it was a way of him showing not only to the bride, but to everyone that he is worthy, he is able to provide for his wife, right? So in that year, that whole year gap, you better build a house, you better have all your finances in order, you better make sure that everything goes according to plan for this wedding day and the party's gonna be great. So that way we know for sure that you're gonna take care of your bride. That's a lot of stress. It's a lot of pressure for one man to do. And the thing is, if you failed at doing this, one, it brought a lot of shame, a lot of embarrassment, but it also gave people the image that maybe you're not ready to get married. Maybe you're not worthy to be able to marry this young lady. So that's a lot of pressure. And that's why it's understandable why Mary, Jesus' mother, was so concerned when the wine ran out. Mary has a soft heart. She understands the cultural importance of this. And she probably feels for the groom. And so she knows who to turn to already. She already knows that there's something special about Jesus. And so she brings this problem to Jesus. She knew she could talk to Jesus. And so she says, uh, Jesus, hey, they, they ran out of wine. Like, that's going to be the talk of the town. That's, that's not good. That's so embarrassing. Like, like, what can we do? I feel so bad for them. They don't have any more wine. And, and Jesus' response is so interesting. He goes in verse four, what has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? I dare anybody to go up to their mother and call them woman and see what happens. No, go ahead. I dare you. It's not going to end well for you, right? And when you read this at first glance, you're like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, that's, that's your mom, man. That's the person that brought you into this world. Like, you're just gonna you're just gonna say it like that? Like what what does that have to do with me, woman? Like, whoa, dude, no, that's not what you do. But if you will allow me, let's let's dive in a little bit deeper and remember who we're talking about here. We're talking about Jesus. He hasn't done any signs yet, he doesn't done any miracles yet. But now we're starting to see himself put himself in a separate category than the rest. He's starting to to say, hey. Uh, technically, yeah, you're my mother, but, but I'm so much more. You already know this because, first of all, I was born out of virginity, right? You didn't do anything. I just got in your, your belly and I was born. That should tell you I'm a little bit special. You also saw me teaching at 12 years old in synagogues to a lot of people. That should tell you I'm a little special. And now we're seeing Jesus, as he starts his ministry, saying, women, I'm, 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 I'm separating myself. If you, if you go to the book of Matthew, I believe it's in chapter 5, you read of a story where Jesus is preaching to crowds, crowds of people. And, and someone comes up to him and says, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside. They want to come talk to you. And what does Jesus say? He says, who are my brothers and my mother? Who are they? My sisters. And he says, the ones who do the will of the Father, 
Those are my brothers and sisters. So you see, he is starting to separate himself and put himself in a category. And also, he tells her that it's not his time. In other words, if I were to do something right now, everyone would know that I'm the son of God, that I am God, and people would go crazy, and it's probably, I'm going to steal the show. That's what's going to happen, right? So it's not my time, but the thing is, Mary knows his boy, and so she looks at the servants and says, look, just, just do whatever he says. Just do whatever Jesus says. And so Jesus, reluctantly, I'm sure, he says, okay, go, go and fill these jars with, with water. And this is where we get to an interesting part because we're about to see Jesus do his first miracle. And you would think that the first miracle would be amazing. You would think that it would be someone being raised from the dead. You would think that it'd be opening blind eyes. You would think that it's healing the sick. No, it's turning water into wine. In John 20, he talks about how Jesus did so many different miracles and signs and all of that. And yet he chose to include only a few signs and miracles. And this was the first one that he shares with us. Which, by the way, signs are meant to point us to something, right? Signs are meant to point us in a direction. They're meant to show us the way. In this case, the whole entire book of John is meant to point us to Jesus. To point us to who he is. To point us to what he's done, to the power that he holds. And we're starting to see it right now in his first sign, the first miracle, just how powerful he is. But he's, he's doing it with jars. And so I want to... To, to, to be invited to come see God work in the ordinary. Come see God work in the ordinary. These ceremonial jars were, were used to clean themselves, to cleanse themselves, right? Before any event or before any party or being before, like, like they would clean themselves. And so it's kind of weird to think that there might be some leftover dirty bath water in there. It's probably kind of gross. And you're telling these servants to go ahead and use these jars and then all of a sudden what happens is a servant scoops up and it's wine. And then the very first person that got to taste the greatest wine probably, by the way, ever in the history. I mean, imagine tasting a wine by God. It's the greatest tasting wine you've ever tasted. But who was the first person to taste it? Was it a king? No. Was it the bride? No. Was it the groom? No. Was it his mother, his disciples? No. It was a servant, someone who probably wasn't even invited to the wedding, someone who was just there to serve. Yet this person was the first one to ever taste the greatest wine ever created. And everyone at that party is going to drink this wine, but only the servants and the disciples know where it came from. Imagine the scene of the party. Everyone's dancing, having a good time, and people are starting to drink wine, and it's amazing. But nobody saw what, what happened for it to get there. Nobody saw that in the background, people were filling jars of, of bath water and then turning it into wine. Imagine, oh my gosh, you used this for the wine? Oh, no, they didn't care. They just cared about the result. But the thing is, God is asking us to see that he's working in every single way, and the way that he works it doesn't matter what we think. What matters is what he does and how he does it because he is God and we are not. And he works in any way that he pleases because at the end of the day, his results are for his glory and his glory alone. And we get to come along and be a part of that and enjoy the fruits of his labor. We also see that our perspectives change 
when we realize what's happening in the background. You see, I was blessed to have amazing parents. I had a great mom and a great dad, but all I knew as a child was to wake up, eat, go to school, play. That's, that's all I knew. And I knew that it was provided for. I knew that I didn't have to worry about it. What I didn't know is that when I got older and became an adult, that it's not as fun as when I was a kid. Adulting's hard. It's not, I want to go back. Like, no. But then I started thinking about my father. And I said, okay, what was he doing when I was at school? I didn't realize that the morning he would take me to school, he had just come home from a 12-hour overnight shift at Walmart. Or that when he picked me up from school to go play, that he only slept three or four hours. Or that the next day when he took me to the park, that he was working at home all night. He was working in the background so that I could have an ordinary, blessed childhood. And our Father, our Heavenly Father works in the same way, then we don't even realize it. Do we ever really acknowledge it either? But the thing is, when our perspective change, we'll see his glory revealed. God invites us to come see his glory revealed. Now, wine, again, is extremely important in this culture. Um, and when the wine runs out at a party, it means that the party's over. Okay? It means that there's no more fun. Go ahead and go home. So along with the shame and the embarrassment of ending the party too soon, I mean, having no more wine, it's also ending the party too soon, right? And wine is often associated with joy, with moments of, of glee and, and memories. That's what this culture understood, that it was an occasion to drink wine, and it was always a moment to remember. And so when I think about his glory being revealed, we start seeing that, in essence, when he provides wine, also the greatest wine, he is the source of the greatest joy for this wedding, for the people at this wedding. And people don't realize it either, right? That Jesus is the one that will ultimately give you the long-lasting joy that we so desperately seek. Jesus is the ultimate source of joy. He's the giver of joy. He is joy himself. But this came with transformation. The transforming power that Jesus has to turn the water into wine is the same transforming power that we are to see within ourselves when we have come and laid down our lives to Jesus and said, we surrender everything to you, Lord. Have you experienced that transforming power yourself? Have you seen within yourself an immediate change to where you realize this is the greatest joy that I could ever have and joy and, and Jesus is the primary giver of that joy. We're seeing Jesus create something new. We're seeing him take old, dirty bath water and make something new. He is revealing his glory in a way where he also says, I control all the elements in this world. I can control storms, I can control the sky, I can control water and even turn it into something extraordinary. Something that's so basic as water, ordinary, is turned into something extraordinary like the greatest wine you've ever tasted. And what's interesting also is that we read that this happened on the third day, correct? which is foreshadowing when Jesus' glory is going to be revealed in such a way that people would come 
and bow down because he has raised himself up from the dead on the third day and has claimed himself as king of kings and lord of lords. And there nobody can help it but to just say, oh my goodness, he is revealing his glory. He is who he says he is. And I am witnessing it and I will acknowledge how powerful Jesus is. And when we see his glory revealed, it's not just that we see it, but in verse 11, you notice that it says that this was the first of his signs. He revealed his glory. And what happened? His disciples believed in him. This is the whole purpose behind this story is that ultimately, yes, Jesus is powerful. He's making something new. He's revealing his glory. But it's so that his people would come to believe in him. That they would come to see that Jesus is for real and that we can believe in him. Revealing his glory led to his disciples believing. And notice there's no account. There's no account of the groom believing or the master of the feast believing, not even the servants. Only his disciples believed. I think about the wine and how the disciples witnessed that for the first time. And then I think about the Last Supper. I think about, again, this, this imagery of the cup being passed around with wine in it. I can imagine the disciples just saying, hey, remember, remember that one time that, that Jesus turned water into wine? That was crazy, right? Like, it's the best wine I ever had. But now he's passing this wine and he's saying that this is a new covenant, that as I drink this wine, I am now being cleansed. And remember, the jars that were used were for what? To cleanse people. And Jesus turned that water, that cleansing water into wine. But now the disciples at the Last Supper are drinking a different type of wine. And the difference is it didn't take jars or water turning into wine. What it took was a body to be broken and blood to be shed. And that's what Jesus has done for you and for me. That this time the wine that is being given to us as we uh, reflect and remember when we take the Last Supper that that wine was paid for by blood, but that wine also gives us a sealed promise of a new covenant in Christ that we are reconciled with him if we come and believe and acknowledge who he is. And one last thing, just, just one last thought. Again, weddings are amazing. And Jesus, he died for his church. And the church is the bride. That's what scripture tells us. And so when we acknowledge and remember that Jesus has indeed died for the church, what is that telling us? Well, it's telling us essentially that he will always provide. He will always remain faithful. He will always sustain us. That he is the perfect groom. And that one day, one day when we're with him in heaven, we're going to experience the greatest, like the greatest joy we could ever imagine when we're with him in heaven. That the old has come, the new has come. The old is gone and the new has come. And that he's saving the best for last. And that's when we're with him forever and eternity in heaven. Maybe you're that person this morning who needs to remember that Jesus died for the church, that he died for you, that he is the perfect groom, that he will always provide for you. Maybe you need to think about how Jesus continues to sustain you in the background. Maybe we've forgotten how much 
our God really loves us. May we see that God works in the ordinary and that we would see his glory revealed in the ordinary. May we come and see how God is doing the extraordinary in the ordinary. Have you tasted the sweet wine of freedom, of salvation? Have you tasted what he has made new? Have you been made new? Maybe some of you need to take that step for the first time. Maybe some of you need to say, I'm tired of always fixating on one thing. I want to surrender my life. I want to let God continue to work in the background. I want to continue to see him work in the background. I want to continue to see him do the extraordinary and the ordinary. I want to continue to just surrender my life to him. And maybe you need to do that for the first time. And you say, you know what? That wine that you're talking about that gives peace, that brings salvation, that's what I want. That's what I need. And it's as simple as confessing. John 10 says that whoever confesses that Jesus is Lord will be saved. No ifs, ands, or buts. That is what he has done for us, church. May we remember that. May we continue to seek him in that. And may we continue to be a church that submits to his will. May we not miss him working in the background. Don't do it. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for reminding us of who you are, for reminding us that you do work in the ordinary, that your first miracle was turning water into wine and how little did we know that that wine would also be a sign of the new covenant because of the blood that was shed on the cross. We thank you, Lord, for cleansing us through, through your blood. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much and you work and are invested in every detail of our life that what matters to us does matter to you. May we continue to submit to your will. May we continue to submit to the calling that you have on our life. I pray for any person in this room who needs to see a miracle that they would surrender their lives to you, Jesus. We see there that the servants obeyed with zeal and they filled it to the brim. May we also obey and come to you and see the miracle, Lord. We love you and we thank you. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all say, amen.